All right, so here's something funny. You know, the guys are all talking about their encounter weekend, right? So it was myself and Tina, we drove up there to help them to get their food. It kept costs down, and it was just a smart move for us to do that, but it was a lot of work, and there's no complaining. But I'm telling you, those mattresses that they had there, it's like one piece of plastic mattress, so every time you move, you'd hear, and I'd be like, what is that? So one morning we got up, the first morning that we went in there, there's like a commercial kitchen on the lot, and this little house that we stayed in had like one little stove that had like one rack in the oven, so we couldn't feed. You know, if you're feeding men, multiply that by two. So we had 46. We want to have that much food. I couldn't do that with a stove that didn't work. So we went in to their big commercial kitchen, and I get in there. Here is 5.45 in the morning, and I turn the lights off, You know, and I'm not thinking. We're out in the country. There's like critters in the country. So I opened up one door, because I know it's getting ready to get really hot in there, baking biscuits and doing all of that stuff, and I opened the other door, and I see something just... So I said, I'm not seeing that, I'm not seeing that. So then Tina walks in, and she's like, what you not seeing? I said, I'm not telling it, I just won't tell you. <laughs> so I turn my back now, and then Tina looks at something and goes, ah! and she runs out the door. Now, y'all... I'm not afraid of anyone or anything. If I see a stranger, I'll just walk right up and not thinking anything about anything. That's just my personality. I'm just curious. Well, she went, if you see, and if you see me run, you run too. <laughs> she screamed at that thing and rah, runs out the door. And then I start running and almost fell up over her. And now the guys are, listen, I was a, a, a little mouse ran up that wall. And there I went screaming out that door. I said, that was a funny. So just kind of wake you up this morning. You all good? (laughs) So if you see me run, you run too. But I got to get over that because God doesn't want us to be in fear, right? So I don't want to be afraid of no little mouse. But that was horrible. I didn't know they can climb walls. (laughs) I do now. But anyhow, so um, it's a privilege to share with you this morning. So can we just pray? Father, I ask God that your words become my words. God, that your heart would just come through this message that I have prepared, Father, without you. It's nothing, and it falls on deaf ears. So I pray right now for every person here in this room and online that's under the sound of my voice. Father God, that you would just open our hearts to receive what I believe that you have penned in my heart. God, may it come out with just your anointing on it. And in Jesus' name we pray. You agree? Okay, so I need you to, just like how you laughed with me, be responsive, okay? It's okay. We, I, I need feedback because it just helps me to, to go easy. Right? Is that okay? So I want to just flow. So I want feedback, laugh, talk back at me. It's all good. Um, thank you, Joshua. No, we love Joshua. So this morning I'm going to talk about the subject of my, my, the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus at the Center. And one of the, you know, this is not, a, I'm going to talk about Jonah for just a minute, but it's just to get to my point. Is that all right? So in Jonah um, chapter 1, Verses 1 through 3. We'll start there with the word of God. One day the Lord told Jonah, the son of Amittai, am I saying that right? I think that's how we say it, to go to the great city of Nineveh and say to the people, the Lord has seen your terrible sins and you are doomed. Instead, Jonah ran from the Lord and he went to the seaport of Joppa and found a ship that was going to Spain or Tarshish. Some of your renditions would say that. So he paid his fare, got on that ship and sailed away to escape. The Lord told him something, and he wanted to escape, get out of Dodge. Jonah ran away from the call that God had for him. He knew about the city of Nineveh. He was acquainted somehow or the other. The scripture doesn't say, but Jonah knew that the people over there were just real bad. And I know you've all seen Veggie Tales, maybe. 
yes. And the way that they depict it is super cute. You know, so he's like looking at these bad Ninevites and he's like, I don't have nothing to do with them. They deserve whatever they're getting. But he decided that he wanted to run away. I believe Jonah had a personal judgment against them. Um, But regardless of what he thought, who spoke to Jonah? God, God told him and he was able to hear that and the scripture says that we believe that it's so. So later on we see that Jonah had a change of heart after being down in the depths of the sea, right? It's real deep down there. In the belly of a, thank you for responding. So he's in that whale's belly. He's in the depths of the sea and he had a change of heart. Oh Lord, I'm down in here and you know, it's not feeling real good here and I don't know what this fish is going to do. I mean, if I'm swallowed by a whale, I can't imagine talking in there. But he was talking in there and we figured that out. But Jonah got over his disobedience and he repented of, you know, of, of his disobedience and he ended up going to Nineveh. And even at the end, it's just four short chapters in that book. Just go read it, and it's, it's a good story to read. Even at the end, after he repented, he's still sitting there under a tree. And God eats up this leaf to show him, you know, is your protection from the heat more important than 120,000 people that was in Nineveh? But in three days, Jonah went through that great city, and he spoke to everybody in three days got them all to fast, got them all to repent and turn their hearts back to God. Can God use somebody? Does God desire to use you? Yes, he does. So here, in, you know, where I'm headed with this is, you know, some things that we're going through as a country, as a community, as a church. Um, we are in a leadership crisis. This is what I personally feel. And, you know, so it's open for debate with anyone. But I do believe that we are in a leadership crisis. And the church itself is also in a leadership crisis. During 9-11, we saw that our nation rallied together. Why did we rally together? Because, there, you know, somebody came in and attacked our citizens. So if they attacked you, they attacked me. So something in us rises when an enemy comes into our land, to our soil. And we're like, well, this is not right. So we joined together, we rallied up, and we started praying at the church. I mean, I remember we went through that. We needed prayer. That was right about the time when I started coming to Victory because I was like, I need to be with some believers. I was in a transition, and, and the Lord had brought me here. But the whole nation came together. In 2020, we have all stood by, myself included. We stood by, and we watched our country, our communities, our families, our church families, and we saw like a divide and a separation that started happening because there was, a, there was a crisis. We went into crisis mode. And this crisis seemed to have affected not just us here in this land. It affected the entire world, right? What, what the crisis was is, hey, there's a pandemic. There's a lion in the streets. And it caused all of us to shut down everything that we were doing, close down our homes, our schools, our churches, our businesses, you know, um, because of this crisis. And the church as a whole seemed that it formed judgments, okay? It formed judgments based on, I saw some skin color stuff happening. We saw that judgments were formed because, you know, people believed in a certain political party. I believe in this, you believe in that. So, you know, and we started questioning each other's faith. Now, I'm not talking about anyone in this room or anyone online. But somewhere, some of, those, some of these things happened. And I found myself, I turned off all of social media. I mean, I just cut it down. You know, some things I have to look at 
you know, just overseeing our church that I have to be aware of. But I want it to not be on there because what I realized is that we had no forum to have a pleasant conversation. No more do we see, you know, I'm a, agree to disagree with you. There was no respect. And I'm thinking, and these Christians, some, some of us, yeah, self-included. And God had to just kind of pull me up to, and we separated ourselves into camps. We need to be careful. So I'll read this one scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, in the Passion Translation. I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any divisions that attempts to tear you apart. You and I, I'll put myself in there. Be restored as one united body, living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective with shared values. So we got to learn how to dance together. We must be so pointed that we do not allow anything to separate us as the body of Christ. Anything. we got to learn to get along. You know, and the division that we saw... I believe it it stems from a leadership deficit here in our country, in our churches, even in our homes. It is my belief that the church is responsible ultimately for this deficit. It has been said that as goes the church, so goes the culture, right? We have become so self-focused and we have forgotten that our, our, our mentality or our whole bend is supposed to be Christ focused, right? We've got to be Christ-focused. When we think about a leader, we often think that it's someone who can make things happen, someone who can get things done, someone in charge. My favorite definition of a leader is someone who has the ability to influence others. When I started that we have a leadership deficit, perhaps I should have clearly said that we have lost the ability to influence others. You see, you and I, every day, we're influencing someone. There's someone who's going to hear our conversations. There's someone who's going to watch the way that we treat others. In our families, they're going to watch the way that we're behaving with each other. And if they're watching, that means they're following. They're following. So it's either we're going to impact for negative or we're going to have an impact for positive, right? Yeah, but for far too long, we have just stepped back and we have let everybody determine how we're supposed to influence. Where do we get how we're supposed to influence from as believers? Where do we get it from? God, the word of God, we do. We have sat by idly watching things take place, things that are evil, that are wicked. You know, we're watching things happen in our school, in our culture. Like right now, the ch- it's not just Christian churches. It's any houses of worship in our country right now. We're watching this HR5, the Equality Act bill. It's been passed through the House. It's up for vote in the Senate. Beloved, if this thing comes to pass, we will not be able to worship the way that we worship, even in our schools, even in Christian schools now, where you get a choice that I'm going to pay my own money because I believe that what they are teaching my kids, it's in line with how I believe. They're going to pass it to be that if a teacher is in there, everything is going to align with the LGBT um, code. I have nothing against anyone who is choosing to live like that. Because at the end of the day, I am no one's judge. You stand before the Lord, and it's what does he say? So you do you, and let me do me. 
But when I'm paying for something, if my kids were in elementary school and you're going to tell me that a teacher has changed his or her mind to say, okay, this morning I woke up and, you know, I'm not feeling so girly anymore. I want to be, you know, Mr. Short. And you're going to teach my kids for an education. This is what this bill will allow. This bill will come in to any house of worship, any, it can be Muslim, uh, Hindu, whatever it is, and they are going to have to adopt to the way of what this community is saying now. Does that sound vile to you? Does that sound like a breach? It is. And if the church, you know, I, I, I'm here to say that we are probably not looking at it or, or don't even want to look at it because we feel like it's not our problem. Well, then whose is it? Is Jesus going to come back here right now? If he comes back, according to the Bible, we're ready to go with him, right? We should be. So if we go, then what about all these other people that are not ready? Should we not be concerned or should we be like Jonah? That they deserve judgment, right? I, God saved me. And the same salvation that he saved me with, I want for others. We should be concerned. The, the crisis, it's ours. It's ours. So where I said that there's a deficit, the church hasn't, we we haven't as a whole, again, it's not pointing any one of us out, but it's saying, God, we got to do better than this. There's something that you're calling us to, right? So Revelation 1, 6, this is what the Lord says of us, of the church, and formed us. So this is God formed us into a kingdom, a royal race, priest to God and Father, to his God and his Father, to him be the glory and the power and the majesty and the dominion throughout the ages and forever and ever. Amen. So be it. First Peter 2, 9, Passion Translation, tells us, but you, beloved, myself too, are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation. Set apart as God's devoted ones, he called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you and I can broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Not hide or run away from it. Yeah, he, we are the ones who gets to broadcast him. When he comes back, it's for judgment. We don't want that for people. We don't. So we have to do the work. We're the forerunners right now. He has left it up to us to bring this kingdom in here. Okay, William Temple says that the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. The local church, you and I, we are the hope of the world because the the risen Savior is on the inside of us. We get to do this for him. We get to. It's a privilege. So I believe that the church is being called out to lead like Jesus. But to do this and to do it well, we must realign our focus. We've gotten our focus off. We've got to realign our focus and make Jesus the center. I did that thing again. We've got to make him the center by which we live our lives. So there are three things that I'd like to draw our focus to and on this morning. One is we got to have Jesus at the center, it means that we must have a Christ-centered identity. Point two, Christ-centered worldview. If Jesus is going to be the center of our life, we've got to have a Christ-centered worldview, okay? And if he is going to be the center of our life, we've got to have a Christ-centered way of living. So under Christ-centered identity, Galatians 2, 19 through 20 in the message, what actually, this is Paul, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. 
No one can do that. And it didn't work. So I quit being like a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do this. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, and, this, and we all know this, indeed I have been crucified with Christ. And I love how this translation reads. It says, my ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you. At the end of the day, that's not what matters. I have no more consideration for myself, my wants, and my desires, because Paul is saying now, which should be what we all say, I now identify with Jesus, right? Christ-centered identity will cause us to think of what does God want for me or you know, what does he want for us? And will always lead us to be obedient to his word. What does God want for us? And how can I obey it? A life identified as a disciple of Christ will cause us to live with eternity in mind. We will make decisions based on the fact that we are a spiritual being having a human experience. See, I'm not human first. We're spirit. My spirit gives life to this body, right? We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body, right? So we are a spiritual being having a human experience. We're just passing through. Our thoughts will be that this world is simply temporary. It's a temporary home. Every decision we make, we will either leave behind a legacy that will love and win others to Christ, or we will leave behind a legacy that hurts others and pushes them away from Jesus. What is the legacy that we're working towards? It will lead us to make sacrifices. All great leaders are going to make sacrifices. Leading for Jesus will require us to give up our comfort and our sense of security, our safety. The Apostle Paul left all that he knew, his position, his traditions, his safety. How many times was that man beaten to the point of death? Left in the sea, stranded, hanging on. I see him like hanging. I get word pictures in my head all the time with scriptures. Like hanging on to a piece of board in the deep sea. Not for me. Another whale incident could have happened there. But Paul said, you know, for me to live is Christ. And even if I die, I gain. Because everything that I'm doing, I'm pushing towards that mark of the high calling in Christ. Right? So this is the life that we have. Leaders are going to sacrifice. Are you an influencer? Absolutely, there's someone watching you. So are you a leader? Absolutely, God wants us all to lead. Right? So God's plan is always that we will see ourselves as being people who find solutions in this life, not folks who make excuses. You are the problem solvers for our world. You are. Everything that happens, every crisis that happens, as a believer, you have the answers on the inside of you because who's living on the inside of us? It's Jesus. So he gives us, if he is the source, he gives us everything that we need. The Bible says for life and for godliness. If life is dying all around us, who has the answers? Who has the answers? Remember, if he comes back now, a lot of people are going to go to hell. A lot of people. Narrow is the way and there be few that find it, right? So who does he need to help us? Who does he need to help this dying world? Guys, the world is in crisis. It is, in case we haven't noticed. It's in crisis and he needs us. So we will be a people that are not concerned about what others think about us. That is the call. Or the positions that we hold will be those that want to make a difference. And we will begin finding the answers. You have the answers inside of you. All right? You see people who don't want to make a difference. 
We'll always make excuses. Well, I can't do this because the weather's bad. Well, I can't do this because I don't have enough money in the bank. Let me tell you about money. I said this first service. The Bible says that the poor will be with you always, but he didn't call us the poor. Right? We're, we're not the poor. We're not. I may not have money to go buy me a Maserati or a Lamborghini, but I have what I need to live, and you should too. And I've got enough that I can pour out a blessing on someone else. Right? That's Christ-centered living. My identity is in him. Okay? So here's what Jesus himself, you see, Jesus himself, he made the way. And he said, I am not going to give God any excuses. And he sacrificed his very life. So in Mark 8, 31 through 37, I love this. That When I saw this, I was like, God, oh, that's so good. And he brings it to me first. So as Jesus began to teach him, so he's talking to his disciples and there's people around him and he starts to teach and he says, you know, I'm getting ready to suffer. I'm getting ready to be beaten. They're going to give me spit and vinegar to drink. They're going to pierce me. They're going to do all this stuff to me. And his beloved Peter comes up to him and say, let me just take you aside and let's have a talk. Because I know that you don't have to do this. I know you shouldn't be doing this, Jesus. You know, there's no reason for this and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus, so verse 33, this is the part that I love. You see, because all day long, there's going to be someone or some people group or some news report or some doctor or somebody that's going to say, well, you shouldn't do that. Because if you do that, it's going to do this. You, 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 should, you don't have to do that. But here's what Jesus said to Peter when he was doing that. Jesus said, you know what, get behind. He turned his back. The scripture says in verse 33, Jesus turning his back to Peter. I'm going to turn my back to you. Uh, just pretend that's my back. It is my back. And he looked out at his disciples and everybody that was there. And he begins to say this. He turned his back. And seeing the joy of the people that God has sent him to minister life to and thinking about his eternity, he called to him the throng with his disciples and said to them, if anyone intends to come after me, let him deny himself, forget, ignore, disown, and lose sight of himself and his own interests, and take up his cross, and joining me as his disciple, and siding with my party, follow me, follow me, for whoever wants to save his higher spiritual eternal life will lose it, the lower natural temporal life which is lived here on earth, and whoever gives up his life which is lived here on earth for my sake, and the gospels will save his higher spiritual life in the eternal kingdom of God. For who and for what does it profit a man that he gains the whole world, all the friends in the world, all everybody saying, hey, it's so good of you that you're just doing this. What does it gain if we have everything and we lose our spiritual soul? What does it gain? You see, I submit to you this morning that Jesus himself was challenged. That's why he had to turn his back on the noise that he was hearing from his beloved Peter. He loved Peter. Peter was in the inner three. He was in the inner circle. But he turned his back on him and he reminded himself in his moment where he was feeling like, you know what, I could preserve my life because this is going to be real bad. I don't need to go through that. But he had to turn his back on the noise. Remember what I said, you're a spiritual being having a human experience. Jesus already saw himself beside the Father seated at the right hand of glory. He saw that, and that's why he could have said this. Remember what I said? We live with our identity in Christ. We live with our minds on eternity. God, I'm living today in this world, but God, I'm going to see you one day. 
And that is a drive that we as believers, that we should make it our aim to think like this. The opposite of Christ-centered living is self-centered living. When our identity is rooted in self, it causes us to focus on how others perceive us, what our positions, our jobs, money in the bank, cars that we drive, education, you name it. You know my point with that. When our identity is based in self, it will cause us to think about elevating ourselves. You see, Jesus could have thought, let me, let me take care of my life because it's going to cost me too much. So when it's in ourselves, we're going to think about how to self-protect. It will lead us to a lifestyle of self-preservation. Okay? God, there's nowhere in the Bible that the Lord tells you to protect yourself. If you find it, let me know. I haven't found it. I've looked, but I haven't found it. Now, the way that he tells us to live is that we get away. You know, we're in the culture, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And he tells us to separate from things that are culturally bad for us. Like, I can't, you know, I can't be running with you telling you about Jesus all day. And every time I turn around, I'm drinking it down to the point where I can't even walk. Or I'm smoking up weed or doing whatever. I cannot. He wants us to be separated from the culture still in the culture to influence them. But we must have, the only thing that's going to keep us in this culture, guys, right now, is the substance of the word of God. Because if I have a bad thought, here's what happens to me. That's Virgil's side. Well, you know, that's not in the word. You know, yesterday I said a joke to Tina that I said like years ago. And I just had to say, Tina, I'm so sorry. I just said that. That was just not good. She's like, well, it's kind of, I said, no, no, it's just this. The word says that let our words be seasoned with grace. It's got to give grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth. But only that which is fitting to the people that hear it, that it would bring grace to the hearers. Right? So we got to measure ourselves according to the word of God. Because that's that's Christ-centered living. Self-centered is always going to think about what makes you feel good. I remember back in the fall, see, because I'm guilty of this, this past year, Um, all of us, as I said before, went into self-preservation mode. Back in the fall, when the media started reporting about this virus and the spike and the spreading, you know, I called our senior pastor, um, or he called me. However, we were talking about what's going to happen this coming service because, guys, I felt so much pressure. Okay, part of my responsibility is, is, you know, making sure that everything in the church, we're administrating and, and things are flowing. And, you know, I oversee our ministries and our ministry leaders. And there was so much pressure. Hey, how are you cleaning the chairs? How are you cleaning the building? What are you all going to do? You're going to shut down. And blah, blah, blah. And all the pressure. Pressure. And this man was under some pressure too. And we prayed for him. I'm so grateful for our pastor. So grateful. But with all the pressure, that, one, that last week I said, God, this is just too much. What am I going to do? So I made a decision. I said, you know what, staff? And we talked to the staff. By Saturday, you know, I'll get all of you all a text. So Saturday, I texted Pastor where we talked on the phone. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to shut down the coffee, the water, and we'll make sure all the staff and myself are in mask. Sunday morning. Now, listen, this is not to bring condemnation to anyone in here. But I, got, I want you to hear our hearts. Our hearts here is to equip you for the for work of the ministry. It is. It absolutely is. And in that, and we're a faith. You know, so for us, everyone has to be led of your own convictions, and you know where you're at this morning. Okay? So I know that if I have the flu or something, I'm going to stay away from you. And if you had the flu, I don't want you next to me. Okay? So you get it? So we all have to be led. But here's what I heard. 
So 5.25 in the morning, and I, I wrote it down in my journal. I hear, and the Holy Spirit, this is how he talks to me. So we all have to learn how the Lord speaks to us so we can listen with our inner man. And I hear on the inside of me, so when you get up for the altar call, because pastor had decided, okay, we're going to be praying for people. Because if we believe in the Bible, we, we want to lay hands on you. And here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. When you go up there to pray, will you be in a mask? You see, back in April of 2020, I was taking care of my husband's grandma, and I'm making a bed, and, and I thought, you know, she's hard of hearing, and she can hardly see, and I thought she said something, but I heard the scripture, Luke 18.8, that says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? So I said, Mama, did you say something? And I had to yell real loud, and she said, no, honey, I didn't say anything, and I heard it again. And when I heard it, I just sat down and I said, Lord, are you saying that I have no faith? And I had 2020 was a test of Mira's faith. I'm speaking from my heart. And this is where I was at. It was a test of my faith. You know, I thought, um, God, I have no faith. And I had to press that out, you see, because there were some tough decisions that we had to make. Professionally, I had to make some decisions. Personally, I was scrutinized. Every thought, every motive, you know, it's all coming. And I was so uncomfortable with all of it. I'm just being real with you all. I was uncomfortable, you know, because I love people. Our staff team love people. So here at the church, our pastor loves people. I mean, listen, I've been with this guy now for, it's 20 years I've been under your leadership, sir. And I'm so grateful for your mentoring in my life. 20 years. And I have watched him, and he's, he's, he's teaching me every day. I see his imprint in my life. There is no one like our pastor, if you remember here at Victory. He always sees the best in people. And it doesn't matter if someone gives him a spit bath or have said something or have done something. Him and Susan have walked in such love towards people, pastor. So he's always, yes, honor that. Love believes the best is what I'm always hearing our pastor say. You know, and um, what we're talking about is leading in crisis. Sorry, guys. See? I love you all. I do. And I honor you. I, I do. Um, but with all of this, as we talk about self-sacrificing, he had to make the call to leave our church open or close it. And that was not easy. Because everybody is with you when you do what they think or what they're telling you to do. Everyone's with you. But the minute that you do something, you see, I know this man. It's been 20 years. I've watched him, his children, his wife. I love her. He loves her. He honors her. He's true to her. I've watched you walk with integrity, sir. There's not a lie in you. I've witnessed that for 20 years. See, so that's why I serve under him, right? But he was called to make this decision we're going to keep our doors open because that's what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying. I said, well, you know what? We're right here. We're right here. And we're supporting you. People are going to stay with you when you do what they want you to do, but they'll love you today and leave you tomorrow. And a leader's got to be okay with that. Because if you live for the applause of men, you will die from their rejection. We cannot. We just, we just cannot. You see? So Christ-centered Jesus-centered, right? If we're self-centered, we will look at every sacrifice and say, it's too hard. I got to walk away from that. What would have happened if Jesus did that? 
you and I would not be here, right? So Jesus at the center, not only do we have a Christ-centered identity, we, are a Christ, we have a Christ-centered worldview. The craziness that we see in our world and here in America can change. It can change if we as the church will bring Jesus to our party. Party! Jesus wants to party with us too. He does. He does. What I mean by this is that our focus must never be on the conflict that we see. But it's got to be focused on the solution. Who is the solution? Is it crisis focus we want to be or God, God focus? It's God focus. So he is the solution. Everywhere I, I turn, I still hear we're in a pandemic. And by no means do I choose to bring any credence to that um, except to bear this point. What would happen if we got focused on Christ our Savior, Christ the healer, Christ our Redeemer? What will happen? Take our mind off the issues and focus on him. A Christ-centered worldview sticks to a firm adherence to moral absolutes that they are. It believes and adheres to biblical truth. If it's in the Bible, you and I as believers, we believe it. If it's in the Bible, we believe it, right? Is, is he the same God who, that lives on the inside of us? Was he the same God that parted the Red Sea? Was he the same God that delivered the Israelites of all of their diseases or, you know, the, from the Egyptians when they were chasing them? Was he the same God? If Jesus said that when I go to the Father, I will send to you the greater one and you'll do the greater works, is he not the same God today? And if he healed over 2,000 years ago, will he not heal today? Right? So his mind, his mind, beloved, is the same for you today as it was on that cross. You see, on that cross, he saw everything that we would ever do. And he paid the price way back when, before we were even ever a thought, even in our parents' in their minds, before they ever hooked up. Jesus saw us, and he said, I don't care what she does. I'm going to give it all, Father. And he turned his back on the noise that Peter was making behind him, right? So instead of, I want, you know, and here's the thing. There's a lot of things that we're being faced with today. Medicine is not the solution. Something, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we've got to take it. Sometimes we go, when I have an ache or pain, man, I don't want this back to go out like it did. The Lord healed it. But, you know, sometimes if I'm too tired, this weekend I was tired. So I didn't even have the physical strength to just even say, God, I just need you to do it. I didn't. I'm just being honest with you because this is our walk. We got to do this thing in the real way. So I had to pop me some ibuprofen. I was like, I need relief right now because what was demanded of me was that I was moving even if I was hurting. Right? So I just needed a little extra, but it didn't negate my faith at all in God. Okay, but what I'm saying is that ibuprofen is not the solution for Mira. Because what happens if ibuprofen is not there? What happens if ibuprofen quits working? What do we do then? You see, because the first thing that we ever run to is what Jesus has said. By the, or by his stripes, the word says we are healed all day long. Right? The same thing that, it, do you believe you're saved? It's the same faith that it takes to walk in healing. That's your promise, right? So self-centered living will not even allow us to pray for others because we become more concerned that our prayers won't get answered or someone will reject them. We were at um, Olive Garden. My friend and I, we were over at Olive Garden. We were having some lunch, and we are sitting there, and this woman walks over to the table, and she's got these hand braces on, and her hand is like that. So I'm thinking, that looks like carpal tunnel. 
it looks like she's in a lot of pain, and she was. So she set that tray down real quick, and I said, hey, you okay? She gives me her whole life story. Like, in two minutes, I know she's a single mom, four kids, has neighbor's kids over her house staying there. Could have been her kid, too, because the kid's always there. And she's, like, working two jobs to just keep food on the table, and I'm thinking, okay, but you're hurting. So before we leave, I, I motioned over to her. I said, hey, would you mind coming here? And here's what she said. She said, no, I don't want that. Now, I didn't even say, let me pray for you. But she knew because, you see, the Spirit bore witness. See, I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray when the Holy Spirit moves on me. And I knew, and my friend knew, that if we had laid hands on her, she was walking out of there healed. But she said, I don't want that. So I walked away, and my heart was grieved. I'm like, you know what, Lord? I could be like Jonah. Could have been. Well, you know, she deserves everything that's coming to her. She didn't want him. It wasn't that. My heart broke. I was like, Father, send more laborers. Send more because she needs your help. Single mom, she needs your help. But we have the answers, beloved, you and I, we've got the answers to what's hurting our world. And we got to step up into that. As a believer, a Christ-centered worldview values others who are made in the Father's image. This view will lead us to honor each other and value each other regardless of our personal views. Just because we may not agree on things, it gives me no right. It gives me no right to hurt you with my words when you disagree with me or by my actions or shunning you. It is okay. We just agree to disagree. But remember that verse in Corinthians where Paul says, let nothing come to divide you. Time is short. We got to stick together. You and me. The only thing we take into this side of eternity is, is our relationships that we have here. Not even my family who's flesh and blood are going to go with me if they don't accept the Lord. But it's you. So what we value is the life that God's placed in us. And we got to do better with that because the world's watching us. Right? So keeping our focus on Christ the Redeemer will cause us to fall in love with humanity The same grace that has been extended to you is what you want to extend to others. Jesus died that all would be saved. we got to keep our focus on him, right? Um, It will cause us to fall in love with people. It will cause us to hate sin and love the sinner. We don't want to be like Jonah, y'all. They deserve their punishment. He didn't want to go because he knew that God was going to deliver them. That's horrible. we got to go. we got to go. God wants them delivered. We got to add more. He's delaying because he's telling us there's more to come. He's delaying, right? So Jesus at the center causes us to have a Christ-centered identity, Christ-centered worldview. And my last point is have a Christ-centered way of living. Living in a Christ-centered way means that my life will be characterized by my obedience to the word of God and my love for others. Remember, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If I love God, here's what the scripture says. This is not what Mira says. This is the word. John 14, 21. Those who truly love me are those who obey my command. Love God. Do we obey his commands? Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father, and I will passionately love you in return and will manifest my life within you. There's nothing he said that his life will be manifest in us. What is that manifested life? That where I walk, the blessings of God show up. I I promise y'all, listen, I've tested that. And this is no bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. I am so aware that I can walk into an empty store. And as soon as I walk in, not minutes later, it starts filling up with people. 
because the blessing of God is present. Okay? Now, what happens is when I walk into hospitals and people are not getting up off the bed, I question. I did. For a long time, I was like, Lord, am I saved? Am I saved? What am I missing? You see, because as the time approaches, the sign, wonders, and miracles are not for you who believe. It's for those who don't believe. You should already have your story about why you're walking with God and why you love him. Right? When our prayers don't get answered, we should be asking, God, what what am I missing? But we shouldn't be surprised that people are getting healed. We never should be. We walk in perpetual blessings after blessings after blessings to bring his presence into this lost and dying world. Luke 6, 46, what good does it do for you to say that I'm your Lord and master if what I teach you, you don't put into practice? Did he call you to self-protect and self-preserve? What was his last words that he says? Go, go. It's action. When we hide ourselves away because we've got to protect ourselves. No, I'm so sorry. God protects you. And you can't protect anyone else. Practice common sense. John 15, verses 10 and 14. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. If Jesus can live nourished and empowered, that means boldness, power to do, by the Father's love, and he just said to us that his life will be manifest in us, then who else has the ability to be nourished spiritually and empowered? Where is Jesus at? He's, he's just not outside, out in space, y'all. He's in us. So we have the ability to be in, empowered and nourished by God. He wants us to live like that. And verse 14 says in John 15, you show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you to do. Right? We want, you know, and the goal I was talking to my oldest Isaiah last night, and I said, you know, the whole goal of this Christian walk is that when I get to heaven, that I would actually know the Father that I would know him, that it wouldn't be like I'm coming into his presence for the first time. I remember, you know, my dad, he, he wasn't with my mom and him, got divorced when I was three months old. Bad situation, and, and I'm, I'm better for it, let me tell you. I'm better for it. But I pray for him. He's a Hindu, and he's highly enlightened, and da-da-da. But I do pray for him. But I remember the first time that I met him. I didn't know if to hug him, if to shake his hand. I, I, it was so awkward. Can you imagine living a life without intimacy with God where you get to heaven and you don't know what to do? You see, I'll tell you, my story is, it's just amazing. I'll share that with you another time. Some of the ladies have heard me share it. When I get there, here's what I see. He's going to have one hand on that knee. He's going to be on his throne and he's going to say, come here, baby girl. Just come here. And I'll run and I'll fall into him because I can't wait to see dad. I'm telling you, we were worshiping a few weeks ago and I'm back there and, you know, my heart just engaged. And I said, Dad, and I don't, it's not like I call him, I call him Father. But I said, all I have is, Dad, you're my hero. You're my hero. Because that's how I see him. He can do anything, y'all. You think this shot's going to keep us safe? We still have to wear a mask if we take the shot. But God says that he puts the ocean and sets the boundary and says, you cannot pass. He said, I take the stars, and I know them by name, and I've hung them. Can you count how many stars we see? The light of the sun for day and the light of the moon by night. Who do you know that could do that? Who do you know that could do that? That's our God. 
How could we not know that he loves us and he desires us and he desires others to know that? Could God do anything? Absolutely. Can he keep you safe all day long? He saved you from hell. You're sitting in this room this morning. I believe that God saved you from hell. He saved me from hell. So that's like, that's like the biggest thing ever. Come on. He can do anything, right? Come on. He could do anything. Okay. So he wants us to, you know, I ask myself these questions daily. Am I obedient to the word? If I'm not, I'm lying to myself because it's easy to be disobedient. It's easy. But what I do know is that times when I'm just like struggling, I'm like, Jesus, I really need you to help me. And he helps me. And he's patient with Mira, right? I want to work this thing out right now before I see him. So our love walk with others, how he helps us, our love walk with others has much to do in the way that we serve others. One thing that comes to mind when I think about our love walk is the parable about the talents in the Bible. Matthew 25, it all talks about the coming, the second coming. But this one... um, one parable that Jesus is talking to the disciples, he discusses that this master is going on a long journey. And as he goes, he calls these three servants and they come together. And to one, he gives five to one, he gives two and the other one, he gives one. So when he comes back from his long journey, it's like Jesus coming back now. And, and you and I have all been given salvation. That's how I look at this parable. I've researched it. It, it, you know, everyone talks about money, money, money. But for me, when I read it a little while back, I saw that it was my salvation. He's given me my salvation. And some people, like they went out there, you know, that one guy that got his and he won five more souls. And the other one won, won two more. But the last one, you know, what my message focused on with this one, and this is what came to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the way that it hit me, I was like, Lord, am I hiding my talent? Right? Because this one servant came back to him and he said, you know, I know that you were unjust and unfair and you take things that don't belong to you. I'm paraphrasing what the scripture talks about. And I know that this is of you. But, you know, I went and I took what you gave me and I hid it. Self-preservation. I hid my salvation. So I'm just coming back and I'm here. But you see, that servant forgot that he was a servant. He forgot who the master was. He didn't know the master because he called him harsh and unfair. You lack integrity. You do nothing good. But here, I'm, I'm giving myself back to you. And that master said, you know, take this, this wicked, lazy, and idle servant, and he sends him into outer darkness. That's what the word says. I didn't make that up. It's in there in Matthew 25. You can read it on your own, right? So as we read that, I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, Father, is there, what am I hiding What am I trying to protect and not share with others? You see, I live in such a way that I want anything that I can do, I'll help you to do it. And the greatest compliment, you know, I I say this to my staff and I say this to my children, the greatest compliment that you will ever have is when somebody replicates something that you do that's good. It's a great compliment. Jesus has left the example for us to be a replication of who he is in this world. Right? He has. Um, So we want that when we get before him, that we're not like that servant, but we know that the father is tender, loving, patient, kind, wishing that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life, that the father is a healer, that he brings healing, he brings hope. We believe in the God of miracles. This is what we want to show to the world, because hasn't God God done that in your life? Hasn't he he formed, formed you? He caused you to see, you to hear? Feel, touch, taste, right? That's a miracle. We're we're miracles. We're all sitting here as a miracle. And we want to take what God has done in us, and we want to bring others along for the ride. 
Amen? So we don't want to take what he's given to us and hide it away. Jesus gave all three of them the same instructions. Two understood the Father, and one didn't. I don't want to be the one that didn't. So Christianity, remember this, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Okay? Jesus, as I close, Jesus at the center means that we have a Christ-centered identity, a Christ-centered worldview, and a Christ-centered way of living. This is our focus. I began my teaching pointing out that we have a leadership deficit in our country and our church, and that the solution to this deficit is recognizing that we, you and I, have been called to be a solution to the problems that this country faces, that our world faces, that our family faces. Our why must become greater than ourselves, and that why is Jesus. Jesus must be greater to us than ourselves, right? He gave it all, not so that you and I can simply slide on into heaven and say, ta-da. He didn't do that. He gave it all so that we can reach the lost, the broken, the hurt, the ones who are suffering, those in the prisons, those in the hospitals, the orphans, the widows. Read the remainder of Matthew 25, right? He wants us to be a church that serves others, that loves him by loving others that doesn't have him, okay? He gave it all so that medicine wouldn't be the first thing that we run to. Jesus is the solution to sickness. He is the, he is the solution to lack. He is. He's the source. He gave it all so that the government wouldn't be a solution to our lack, all right? Go back to Numbers. I said it this morning. Numbers is great. I love reading the Old Testament because you see the Father. They were all griping and complaining. Oh, we wish that we were back in Egypt because we had free leeks. Leeks? Free leeks, free fish, free bread, and free this and free that. And guess what he did? He consumed them with a fire for their grumbling and complaining. Okay? So as I close, we must first have him at the center of our lives and take what he has entrusted us with to win our families, our communities, those on our jobs, your friends, schools, to win them to him. Is that okay? So self-reflection questions. Am I more concerned about what others think of me than what God sees in me? And do I put myself before others? Do I do that? When faced with any problems or crisis, is my focus on the issue at hand? Or is my focus on Christ and what he's brought me through in my past? If you remember everything he's brought you through, you'll have faith to go through tomorrow. Okay? Remain thankful. Um, and am I burying my talents? Okay? Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.